From the moment we're born and lock eyes with our parents, we are inspiring others. By showing up as a vessel of service, we not only help others, we help ourselves. Welcome to SOS Stories of Service, hosted by Teresa Carpenter, hear from ordinary people from all walks of life who have transformed their communities by performing extraordinary work. People and everything else, but it doesn't matter. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the 77th episode of Stories of Service, Ordinary People Who Do Extraordinary Work. I am the host of Stories of Service, Teresa Carpenter. And today, as I always do, I have another amazing guest. But before I get started, I do want to say uh, there is somewhat of a trigger warning because we are going to be talking about the very, very serious issue of suicide, mental health, and trauma. And I have been doing a lot of mental health themed shows lately. And as hard as I say that they are, I know how important they are and I know how much this message needs to get out there. So uh, we will do our best as we walk through this difficult issue to be as sensitive uh, as we can to people and their own traumas. And uh, please feel free to like us on wherever you're finding this podcast. Uh, you can hit subscribe on YouTube. And if you are following me on uh, LinkedIn, I believe there's also a notification bell there. So David Woods Bartley, how are you doing? I'm, I'm well, Commander. Thank you so much for having me. As, as mentioned in the pre-show, you and I have known each other for, I don't know, a couple of years, maybe a little bit longer. So now, to as I've been a fan of the, you've taken a very courageous and different route in support of the military, but also to, to voice maybe what doesn't work, especially at a senior level command. Now to actually be connected with you live is, is really a, an incredible honor. I agree. You were in touch with me even i think before i started my podcast so for us to now come full circle two years later 77 episodes down the road and then now for you to be as as so involved as you now are in the military community uh dealing with mental health and suicide it's it's really come full circle so we're just going to go ahead and get started i'm going to read a little bit more about you and uh, ask some questions and for those of you who are joining us live uh, please feel free to put your questions in the chat chat log and we will get to them. So with suicide impacting so many communities, as I said, I knew that despite how difficult the subject was to be was to tackle, I, there would be no better way person to share this struggle than my dear friend, David Woods Bartley. And the way I got associated with David was I saw his posts on LinkedIn. And so I went to his TED talk and as I was watching it, I was so moved by the, the, the talk. It, it just, it hit me that he was able to capture why I had struggled and why I was so depressed. And while I was never suicidal, I, I really could relate to a lot of the same feelings that he articulated that led him uh, to what happened with him. And we'll talk more about that. He has endured an early death of a parent. He inherited the genetics of depression. He has suffered repeated sexual trauma at the hands of a trusted community leader and came face to face with the monster known as PTSD and battled crippling depression for more than 40 years. But in the six years since David was stopped from jumping up to his death from the 730 foot forest stall, and I got to remove the camera, my little bio is here, forest stall bridge and his subsequent admittance into a psychiatric hospital, David has successfully navigated from the isolation of mental hellness to the inclusive space of mental wellness. Welcome, David. Thank you, ma'am. Again, it, I can't say it enough, and I'll try not to be redundant uh, how excited I am and to be here, especially with someone like yourself 
in, in a senior leadership position. Um, that, that is particularly meaningful for me. And, and again, I, I honor your courage to have a platform that is pretty rare within the military. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And I definitely think that there needs to be more podcasts from people who are active duty, who can hold space for conversations like I do. And I hope that in time, as we get more guidance about what military influencers, for lack of a better term, which I don't think is a bad word, mm -mm. Um, do, uh, there, there will be more who feel safe putting out shows like I do. And so uh, that is my goal and my aim is that hopefully uh, the stuff that I talk about on my show and with my posts and the stuff I do on social media can be an inspiration for others uh, to do the same thing in, in their line of work. But first off, I just want to know a little bit about, you know, where where you are from originally and just a little bit about some of the the early things in your life that led to you, led to you like some pivotal moments that led to where you are today. Absolutely. So actually was, I was born in Chicago, but that was a, a short period of time and then grew up on the East Coast outside of Washington, D.C., um, family of four. So and, and I always like to mention this, that my love for the military comes. I, I never had the honor to serve, but we lost. Uh, there's four of us. We lost our father. I was just seven. My three older brothers, Jim, John, Jim, Tom and John are all six, nine and 11 years older. So my eldest equal to my wife and to my children is the most important person in my life. And he's one of those rare Mustangs. So John enlisted in the army in 1970 and ultimately pinned on two stars. And he is just, he ma'am is a lot like you in the sense of being an emotionally available leader. And my brother was never busy just doing his thing, an old mm -hmm. M1 guy. And to now be able to support the military in, in an expansive way that I never thought I'd have an opportunity. It now has become my mission. So, the, the shorter version of the story, if I look at what happened that got me to the pace, place on August 31st, 2011, when indeed I was going to jump off the 730-foot-tall Forest Hill Bridge, it was what I've learned, especially in the psychiatric hospital, was I was standing in the confluence like two mighty streams of water. On the one hand was genetics. Grandfather mm -hmm. had killed himself when my father was young. Father, in turn, suffered horrifically from crippling clinical depression, and it just... I don't have a lot of memories, but my brother said, man, that was just eviscerated. But he was one of those smiling depressives, one of those high functioning. So back in the day in the 70s, he had this like razor sharp crease on his pants. I saw these pictures with this starched white shirt, the thin black tie. But by the time cancer came knocking on at the door at 41, he had nothing left. So I remember the doctor shared with me, which was a brilliant analogy, that if you take genetics, and you're going to do a, imagine it's like tinder, like, like kindling mm -hmm. for a campfire. You need something to light it. And as you have pioneered in conversing, it, it's really trauma. And I learned two things. One, I was 48 years old at the time, that the trauma of a little boy losing his father at seven, that, and I remember he took his hands and he approximated the height of a seven-year-old child. And then he said, David, it's a trauma that can last a lifetime. And so now he approximated the height of a 48-year-old man. And I like to tell my, tell my audiences, the truth will set you free. Because at 48, what, what me, what I and society would say is, come on, man, that happened 40 years ago. Like, mm -hmm. get over it. Right. That's what everybody yeah. likes to tell you. Exactly. So that, and then really what was the, the blowtorch was on repeated occasions being tortured and, and sodomized and raped and subjected to unimaginably bad things at the hands of a Boy Scout leader, 
the latter I had never told another person in my life because the monster, every time he inflicted that he literally and figuratively split my body apart, he was very clear to say in, in, a, in probably the worst lie I will ever hear is that these were part of sacred, sacred, he used the word sacred, initiations that all new Boy Scouts go through, but it's very important that if you breach the silence, you'll never be able to be part of Boy Scouts. And I'd never said that because the older I got and, and trying to identify, am I really a man? Because a real man would have fought back. You know, you can fight, you can flight, or you can freeze. Well, mm -hmm. obviously an 11 year old, that was the appropriate thing to do. Part of my belief in life, my need, and, and today is a perfect example of this, actually how our relationship started two years ago, is that life is constantly endeavoring to heal my soul to put me in touch with the right person at the right time at the very needed space. And in that moment when I had shared this, when I had crying harder than I ever cried, this, this psychiatrist, the, the initials past his name and the initials in front of his name went away because he became like a father I'd never seen. And Commander, he just reached forward and took my two hands in his in the most loving embrace I had ever experienced. And he just said four words. He just looked at me and he said, it's not your fault. And I tell people, that's why I'm here today. It wasn't just the first responder and he pulling me back by words, which I will share to keep me on the safe side of the rail to get me to him. But it was, if we can understand something, we have the possibility to create mm -hmm. something different. And it that started my journey from mental wellness to mental wellness and now to have this mission to serve the military. Just to, and when I, when I brief, it's just, I don't use any PowerPoint. There's no data. It's the brief is divided into two parts. The first is here's the problem. We, we don't understand the problem and we need to talk about it. Pe people, people don't kill themselves because of what they're thinking. People kill themselves because of what they're feeling. And yep. really for me, it's a simple three-step. Something bad happens. The foundation of it. it's something bad, whatever you want to call it. And it doesn't matter what it is. It's unique to the person. The inability to share it, that's toxic. That's corrosive. It is. And then what, then what happens is that event or events or rumination of those events spawn a pattern of thought. A belief is just a pattern of thought. That, that's all it is. So then the belief becoming stronger and stronger spawns off emotions, spawns off feelings. So what moves the trigger finger to pull, to pull the trigger is a feeling. And I say to the military, that's bad news in the sense that if you reverse engineer this, where do you begin? Well, you begin at the end. So that means it ends at feelings. To understand it, you got to begin at feelings. And I teach three TTPs, these tactics, techniques, and principles, procedures to create within the military that I understand. I've lived on post. My brother's my guy. I understand the Army and now the Coast Guard. And I just had my first gig for 1500 in the Air, in the Air Force wing that these three methods can create an environment in which there can be a conversation about feelings. But there's other things, and I'll add, and I'll stop talking yeah. at this point, that I have certain things that I think the military, because I, I, I am privileged to be in this really unique space, I can say things that chief of staff of the Army, the, the, the commander, the, the, the admiral mm -hmm. of the Navy can't say, but right. they're there. David, you've touched upon so much that I think could truly help us in the military, because as we know, we are grappling with it just horrific suicide problem and 
I don't believe that it's just something that's happening in the military. I believe that law enforcement is struggling with this issue. I believe that even just average Americans are, are struggling with this issue. And I do believe that much of this comes down to not feeling like you have a safe place to share your pain. Right. No, and I, and I, I, I could not agree with you more. And there's, there's a couple, and I'm a crazy person about quotes. Love quotes, I love definitions. So if I may, trauma only has to, we think trauma has to be like what I experienced. But I said, look, trauma, trauma can be, and so I always will always go back to the dictionary and say, well, what is, what is, what are certain things? So Cambridge Dictionary, you know, kind of think they know a little something about the English language. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's the literal definition of trauma. A severe, it, it's severe emotional shock and pain caused by an extremely upsetting experience. It's 13 words. That's all mm-hmm. it is. So in other words, I love this for a couple of things. One, doesn't fit in a box. Two, right. it's unique to the individual. It, it yes. doesn't matter. It just, so what we need to do, there's a Krista Triplett gave an amazing TED talk and she talks about compassion as a foundational aspect of leadership. And ma'am, you know what, what her definition of compassion is? It's not just a hug. Like if I was there, I would hug you and Harry because I love and adore who you are and what you represent. But compassion is a leadership because that can be a little too touchy-feely. Here's what she says. Compassion is curiosity without assumption. And I'm like, oh, it's blank slate listening. Mm. In other words, you stand in the presence. Like, and what I tell people, I say, look, when I ask you to please understand something, I'm not asking you to agree with it. Like, I don't agree with sexual assault. But we don't understand this. But here in the military sense, the, the quote that talks about what's the light at the end of the tunnel is Sun Tzu in the art of war. If you know yourself and you know your enemy, you need not fear the outcome of a thousand battles. We don't understand this thing. Mm-hmm. We don't. And in fact, what I say is I have a talk that I call, to, it's to senior leadership, suicide is the enemy. It's not the target. As long as there are human beings on the planet, suicide will be a part of the human experience. It has nothing to do with, with mental illness. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine if you were one of the, the parents of a child in fourth grade in May of last year in Ugalde, Texas, when somebody murdered your child. You dropped your fourth grader off and you had had umpteen times with the expectation, I gotta remember the dentist appointment, they have a party this weekend, so we gotta get a gift, and you never saw your child again. How could you not, at least on a singular occasion, in the aftermath of a tragedy I cannot begin to imagine, how could you not have a singular thought of killing yourself? It'd be impossible. But would we call those people mentally ill? Would no. we say? Would we say they're no longer no. resilient? Well, of course no, but so- David, we normalize their trauma. That's that's the issue. Is that sometimes what I've found is if in certain types of trauma, like like you said, like with sexual abuse or somebody murders your child or wartime PTSD, we say, oh, that's okay. That that kind of trauma is all right. But then you've got somebody like myself who's dealt with workplace bullying or a mother that she butt heads with constantly. It wasn't this horrific abuse exactly but to me it was trauma but we tend to we tend to feel shameful about that and say oh well your stuff wasn't that bad so you're you're fine you know isn't that strange how we do that why i don't i mean i would say it's actually cruel it is because again let's go back it only needs to be 13 words and the last part is an extremely upsetting experience and the the analogy i created in the mind is let's say we have a young officer let's say let's say she's an 04 
and she's mm-hmm. going along in her career. Let's say she grew up in a nightmare situation in her family. Let's say she was subjected to, if nothing else, witnessing her father do unimaginably bad things to her mother. So her solace was her best friend. And she went to her best friend's family's house all the time. And, and her best friend's mom, that was her lady. So let's say now we're at the place in the town where the young, the young officer is cruising along. Her best friend's mother is killed by a drunk driver. Now, society will give grace and understanding to the frontline person, the young, the, her best friend. Like, oh my mm-hmm. God, you lost your mother. They won't extend grace to the young person because, ma'am, to your point, they'll say, well, it wasn't your mom. Well, yeah, but wait, it was just like my mother. Well, no, you weren't blood related. Until we understand that mm-hmm. it doesn't That's have to be. Step. It just, all we have to do, it's just, that if we understand this, then it creates one thing. And, and it, all I'm talking about in my briefs is I'm just here to create a possibility. That's it. Just because, mm-hmm. and my possibility is now I've been alive 4,192 days. All I'm, in my briefs is let's get everybody here to the end of today. That's it. Just yeah. today. Let's make this so ridiculously doable that this thing, and I don't know why I always pro- <laughs> turn to my left. <laughs> this, this thing is, you have to give it credit in terms of its ability to be covert, to hide amongst us, to be tactically fluid, doesn't, use, mm-hmm. doesn't sleep in the same place twice. Why can't we take, we're still playing by rules of engagement, but he doesn't. Roll them out. Right. That's why I say, that's the enemy. It's not the target. This is going to be part of the human experience. We can weaken it and we can lessen his efficacy. I don't, my platform's not suicide prevention because prevention is about stopping. I don't think we can stop it. My, my platform's suicide reduction. Right. And, and there's so many different, I could go on so many different things, but, but my, my purpose is to flip this thing and have people look at this in a way like, and it's not about me. It's, it's, it's about these ideas that, ma'am, it is the, the single most effortless thing I've ever done in my life because these analogies and these stories, a lot of times they come when I'm walking my three dogs. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, that's extraordinary because it's different. You know, I have, I have soldiers. I have airmen. I have coasties come up and say, I've never heard it that way. And I think, again, I don't take credit for it. I, I think the approach... I get to stand on the shoulders of the great traditional work that's being done. I have the easy job. The people who, who are researching mental illness and suicide and trauma, the people who we get mm-hmm. to sit down in a truly clinical way, I'm just coming in in their coattails, in their wake, and just yeah. saying, let me offer something different that can have somebody look at a different perspective to ultimately, if we can create the space, back to your point, ma'am, where somebody can tell their story, it creates a possibility. There are still people. Yes. There's still the possibility people will jump. Yes. There's also, there's also the possibility they won't. How many they people won't. do we need? We have to go 22 to zero and feel like we're having success? Because we talk about what's the, what's the wave of unimaginable impact in the lives of survivors of people who've ended their lives. But you know the thing we don't talk about, ma'am, is what's the impact when they don't? What's the positive effect when someone does not end their life by suicide? We don't look at that. And we don't, just... we don't learn those lessons. We don't say, what was it that stopped that person from committing suicide? What intervention was it that worked that prevented that person uh, from taking that step? And exactly. what you're providing, David, is you're using your own experience and what it was that you benefited from that prevented you from ultimately taking your life. And that's, 
Extremely powerful, extremely powerful. Well, and thank you. And I think the more I do this, the, the other things that I say, and I, and I believe I love the military. I just, if they would let a six-year-old man, a 60-year-old man enlist, I, whatever of the five, I'd take me. It would. But okay, but now I think, okay, I can't serve the citizens of the world. I can serve the military. So, so a couple of things that I say is there's a lot of great education about the signs. You know what? We should actually just take that and just kind of forget about it. Because here's the thing, ma'am. I do this everywhere I go. I'll say, let's have an audience of 200. How many people here in the audience have lo- who, who know of someone who's attempted or, or lost their life to suicide? They'll, they'll be off 150. And, that's, and I say, okay, of those, how many had obvious signs? Maybe 10. Right. I mean, it, so here's the thing. It, it's okay. But the definition of an upset is an unfulfilled expectation. The army, the, the everybody's saying, here are the signs. If you see them, we can stop it. Okay, none of those things are true. It's important that we know in the rare instance. The other thing is, we want to put it in a box. Again, I get the military in terms of why people kill themselves. We don't know. We don't. No, we don't. It, and it's okay. Because what happens, ma'am, when in your command right now, when you took command, I, I know you. I, I, I would put all my chips to the to the the, the poker table of, of this thing called life, but you did not go in there. And when you look at problems, but Ken, because I know you, you are totally okay with saying I don't know. Absolutely. And if I, and if I may, the, the the strength in that is when we say we don't know, then we look at problems from every possible perspective. We're we're limited. They aren't the military is limiting their own brilliance. The same approach that they take in every mission set in looking at things and say, we don't know. Why can't we say this now? If we do, that's actually a beautiful thing. And I understand, though, the restrictions of the chiefs of staff. So let me talk for General McConville. Let me just say, let me talk for Admiral Fagan. Like, okay, I can do that. I, and I think that we need to create these spaces. Um, I'm going to get to you, Kurt. Thanks so much for joining us. He has a couple comments, and then I'm just—I'll say this, and then I want to get to your comments, Kurt. But I—I I don't think that we create safe public spaces where people can talk about these things. One of the things I did last year that was really, really therapeutic, and and I think more commands need to do it, is create a mental health summit. Uh, it was a two-day thing where. Experts from the mental health space came. We even had experts from the legal side who came when, because much of this mental health stuff crosses lanes with the judicial system. Um, and it was just this amazing, we had people do testimonials of, of people who had um, come close to committing suicide. And like, this comes back to your comment, Kurt, about how many who did not take their lives are willing to discuss their challenges in public. And, and that that's part of the problem is that we don't, have people who are willing to discuss, especially in leadership positions, I find, like at the two at the at the flag level, flag and yeah. general officer level, how many of those flags and general officers have had trauma that they're willing to discuss publicly? And I I just don't see it. I mean, I see more of it these days, and I see more people like myself who are willing to talk about their mental health challenges, but it's still very few. And there's still a stigma that by going to medical, and I talked about it today on my LinkedIn, you, you're 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 seen as being weak. When is it's so counterintuitive because if you go to medical and you get help for your problems, you're going to show up and be a better leader for your people. It, it's just, you know. <laughs> well, 
and and you know i have no i mean it really has nothing to do with the fact that my brother was a two-star general because he served years ago but when i make introductory in an effort to create these what i call micro relationships you know and the people like the the lieutenant general uh, beagles lieutenant general brunson uh, major general eifler major general bonner um the rear admiral verhey which i'll talk to you about so that i'll just mention this this is my man this is why it's important and I, and there are so life has given me i don't know how a, a consistent contact to to flag rank it, it blows my mind so what i say to people is i have incredible confidence that there are now a group of men and women like admiral fagan the first woman to command a branch of the army who invited me to give the keynote speech at the all flag in her conference there are people like that that, that are going to change the system i don't know how long it takes but i'll give you an example ma'am of, of what general eifler did and and i he's the commanding officer of the 11th airborne in alaska i mean he's i love this man so he is all about i've not heard him talk about his story but here's what he's doing to create a safe place so he found out one of his e5s had to stood up and said hey i need help mm -hmm. he's, he's looking to call that information went into went into inpatient man when he came back you know what was waiting for him from the CG, a handwritten note that said, son, you're exactly the type of leader that I need. Thank you for demonstrating. It's not weak to speak. Like a leader needs to ask for help. And G-Man, okay, the story of that handwritten note didn't stay with a soldier. Like that thing went. So I agree with you 100%. I would love a person of flag rank to just say, hey, you know what? And in the absence of that, until that happens, I do have confidence that these other people of note that really are doing things they are committed to changing the conversation i don't know how long that's going to take so now that's my job like like i'm in this really unique space to say things that flag rank can't like if some if you know if somebody went to general mcconville the chief of staff of the army and said hey sir you know what's the army think about why people kill themselves general mcconville can't say you know what we really don't know because the society would lose their minds but let me say it I mean, I've had people, ma'am, it is amazing to me. I've had people come up in like in tears and said, oh my God, no one's ever said this. And I'm like, right. Oh, I know. It, it's when not I watched me. Your TED talk, I was kind of like, why hasn't anybody ever said that this is why people, this is what causes people to kill themselves? I mean, again, I, I have never been suicidal, but I have been so lonely where I just didn't even look forward to the next day. Like right. I would live my day because I didn't have any consistent friends. And I literally just had a couple people now and again who would text me and would check in with me. This is during all my periods of being single. And it's like the worst feeling oh. when every single day you're just living to go to work because, right. you know, I don't have, I didn't have close family and I wasn't married. And so, or even maybe dating somebody. And every single day you're just like what do i do what do i look forward to yeah. i don't and it's almost like your years I, i've talked to this about with one of my girlfriends it's almost like years of your life just didn't even count because there was nobody there for your story you might have posted all the good times on social media right. but it wasn't real and 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 i just i've never i've never felt that way before and it's scared that feeling scares me so much to the point that now I know that I still have to get my mind around where that comes from and that that sense yes. of abandonment because 
I know that if something were to happen to Harry, I have a fear and, and I'll be very vulnerable in saying this, that I would go right back to that same space because okay. I started to go down that road when I was in Germany last year. And I could oh. sense I was in that same dark place because I'm not that person who is going to have a ton of friends who has all the, you know, gets, gets together with the whole work group. That just isn't me. And, and, and I'm not a person who fits in like that. And so it is, it is one of the most loneliest feelings. And I can see where people can get to that place where, where they just feel like they have nothing to live for. So. No, and then the one of the, you'll hear, it, it's not uncommon. If you look at to, you can Google, okay. The, the people, you know, what does it feel like? It, it, a very common response is if you look at depression, suicide, thoughts of suicide, the, it's the inability to imagine a future. Like, mm, yeah. and, and, and I'll tell you, and one of the things I, it, it's taken me a while because I thought it would make me, it would disqualify me is I still struggle terribly. I mean, it's not like, I'll probably have occasional thoughts of killing myself for the rest of my life, but the difference is it's a day. And so I did a, a wonderful tour recently. It was 23 days, two weeks with the 11th Airborne, and then I've worked with INSCOM in the Army. So two weeks, then went to Hawaii and briefed the 511th Military uh, Intelligence Brigade, then went to Japan. And ma'am, in between Hawaii and Japan, a depression descended on me, the likes of which I had not experienced in probably five years. And I was, it was bad. I mean, it was, it was incapacitated. And I remember, so I said, okay, let me, let me write some of these things down so I can share them. And, and, and the, the thing that came up was that I am inferior to the world. And I just like, cause I, and I, I feel like, I mean, I'm, I'm doing some good work, just like, and then this, like you had said, like I had a, a fear in my, Oh my God! Like I'm not going to be happy again. Like it, it, like I say, look, this whole thing is not a malady of thought. It's a malady. So I did the thing, which is fascinating to me. I did the thing that I, I beg people to do is I reached out for help. Now I'm in Japan. My, my help, my support center is in the United States. Like you know, whatever the time difference is. So I, I text my wife, and then I text my brother. This guy is, he's amazing. Immediately, text back to, okay? Because I said, look, I'm in a bad place. And I, I got a brief 311th Military Intelligence Battalion. Like, I, I, I don't know what to do. He said, okay, I got you. Okay, just, all right, I love you. You know that. And so then, so then he reached out. He reached out to my other two brothers. So all of a sudden, I'm surrounded by these four people. And it was by way of text. I, I tell people, look, don't diminish this as an effective way to support somebody. Because if we can destroy somebody's life by cyberbullying, why can't we support them by Support them with texting. Well, like exactly. I said, in, in my it's loneliest different. moments, I had a girl, uh, Jenny Patterson, she knows who she is. And when I was in these horrible breakups and these just total spirals, she would just text me like three times a day, four yeah. times a day and check on me. <laughs> And it was just like, honestly, my whole life was just friends who would text me and, and, and check in with me. But what? I was so lonely. And then I would go to work and I'd hear about people's and their families and all the things they had going on. And I'm just like, that's not me. <laughs> I'm coming home to an empty home. No, <laughs> Sometimes, <it's> a, you know. <laughs> but, you know, it was that support that allowed me to, to get through the brief, to get to the end of the day. And, and there's a really important thing that I realized. Not a single one of these 
these these are my folks tried to change the way I was feeling. So in other words, they didn't say, oh gosh, I didn't I, dismiss I, it. Yeah. I, Don't I feel wish that you way. didn't feel it right. And and mm-hmm. what I what I share to people, and it's not it's simple, but it's not easy. When we're in the midst of somebody and we can create the safe place, we, connection is when they feel seen, heard, and valued, which always results in hope. My my thing is connection creates hope. Hope is a weapon because hope saves lives. If we can create that sacred space, that's sacred, not what the monster told me. If we can create that and somebody can emote and express difficult emotions, Lady Bird Johnson, that people need to be given the opportunity to hurt out loud, please don't stop them. Because it, just just give them the space, hold the space for them. Please allow them. I'm not saying it's easy. It's, we want to, are intrinsically, altruistically, we want to take that feeling away. Please don't. Because right. it, it is the unexpressed, I mean, it is so essential. And I realized, man, like, None of the four of them tried to do, they didn't do that. He just says, I got you. I love you. You know, and then when we can communicate in, in more traditional ways, okay, tell me what's going on. How are you feeling? You know, how can I support you? Not, and I say that people just say, ask somebody, what can I do to support you? Not, is there anything to, I can do? No, that's easy. No, no. What can I do? Ask permission. May I do something? It's just, the whole thing is changing, but I look at it like, okay, so I got a chance, you know, to, to experience what I quote unquote preach. And I'm like, you know what it gave me the ability to? My favorite acronym of hope is hold on pain ends, not Pollyanna. If, if hope were a person, hope would say, this sucks. Right. Dear, dear God. Like, no, yeah. I'm not going to tell you, hey, don't worry, it gets better. No, this sucks. Yeah. But can, can, can I share something that will get us to the end of the day? That my family got me to the end of the day. Just like, okay, okay, you know what? All right, this tomorrow may be better. Maybe it won't, you know? But we, it, me, it was. And then I don't believe in silver linings. I, I think, like, there was no silver lining to me being tortured. But what I do think that we, and you, ma'am, you demonstrate this, you've taken a situation and you've leveraged it to create meaning. That's totally different because the silver lining thing goes to your point, ma'am, it diminishes the experience. Oh yeah, there's Napoleon Hill in Think and Grow Rich says, inherent in every adversity is the seed to an equal or greater benefit. I'm like, you know what, dude, you walk this. Mm-hmm. You know what, and there's no, but can you leverage, Leverage the experience only with the support of others to create meaning. Archimedes, give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum upon which to stand and I can move the world. So the lever is connection. You're standing on hope. You can move me. I've been moved from hellness to wellness because that's what other people have done. Yeah. And I think that if you can figure out what it is that you can bring to the table in terms of your own values and your own gifts. I mean, that's what my show's really all about. It's about leveraging your unique skills, your talents, your gifts with the world. And I believe that by doing that and by showing up and giving back, you gradually are able to not necessarily, like you said, move past your trauma because I don't believe your trauma ever goes away. I believe that it's something that you live with. It's something that you manage. And it's something that hopefully in time you get better at coping with. So you find, like you said, those people that will create that safe space uh, around you. And whether those people are therapists, whether they're your friends, whether they're family, whether they're somebody from a support group, you, you have to find those people 
And once you find those people, I, I think it just makes a world of difference. I noticed when I found those Alcoholics Anonymous, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, uh, Sex and Love Addicts, Sex and Addicts Anonymous. I was, I was Codependence Anonymous, you name it, I went to it. And I loved it in the sense that I was finally around people who were talking about their trauma in a way that it normalized it for me. And I was like, whoa, this is like something that all these other people are dealing with. Just nobody at work ever talks about these things. And I was like, oh my God, like it's not that big of a deal. And and it, it just, it was a game changer for me. No, and, and if I may, ma'am, because I, I think if I may, you experience hope. And you know, what I would say is hope is hearing other people's experiences. It is the normalization, mm -hmm. not the eradication, not the no. simplification. It is the normalization. And when I tell people in the audience, they say, look, and I say this with love, every single one of us here is at risk for suicide. Every single one of us. Our life can change in a 3 a.m. phone call. It has nothing to do with resilience. It has nothing to do with the fact that you're weak. It has nothing to do. It's just that things can happen. Life can come up in such an extraordinarily tragic, tragic, unimaginably bad way that you're just like, you know what? I just, if life's going to be like this, I just, I don't want to be part of it. So until we, until we, it, it humbles us to just say, okay. And I think it goes back to what Krista Triplett said. We need to then just have, okay, curiosity without assumption. You know, and the analogy I use in terms of where life can become more difficult to live than it is to die. And I always preface this with saying, look, I, I, I say this with honor and respect is 9-11. So the mm -hmm. jumbo jets hit on the upper floors. All that jet fuel explodes. There are souls who are trapped there. The smoke comes, can't see, I can't breathe. They feel the inferno and they have a choice. I can do everything I can. I can muster every aspect of my resilience to attempt to live in an inferno in which it's possible or I can jump. Do we shame those 212 people? Do we say they were mentally ill? Do we say they were weak-minded? Well, I know yeah. they don't because those 212 names are read every 9-11. And the people, the souls who in the ensuing years who can no longer carry the weight of that trauma, when they end their life, we put their names on the list too. And you know why we do? Single reason. Because we understand it. We do. We can understand that. And, and the reason I use the analogy is that's what it's like for somebody like me. It is simply more difficult to live than it is to die. Mm -hmm. And I love the the curiosity without assumption, because I think a lot of times what we do is we we see what somebody else's behavior is. And then what we do is we do make assumptions about it. We make stories up in our heads that are based on our own experiences that are not the same experiences as, as that person. But we make up our own stories that are not necessarily what is truly going on with that individual. Well, and, and, and I have a different take that came to me when I was walking the dogs on the whole empathy thing. So the empathy, you know, and again, it says, we need to walk another in a mile shoe, another, we need to walk a mile in another person's shoes. And it occurred to me, I said, you know what? What if my shoes don't fit? What if, what if my, my feet hurt? What if my mm -hmm. heart hurts? And then I'm gonna ask you to walk a mile. You're gonna see stuff that you have no reference to. So how about this? I'm going to keep my shoes on. You keep your shoes on. And how about we companion together? And when you see something that you don't understand, you ask me. Because ultimately, that's going to reach, we're going to reach the incredible destination of understanding. Because understanding, it's a destination. It doesn't just come. No, because doesn't. for us to find out 
the behavior, the, the reason behind the story, we have to ask. Curiosity is the only way that we're going to go to understanding. Kids, like kids, the kids see somebody who's missing a limb, they'll say, oh my gosh, what happened? It's not, why don't you have a limb? Yeah. And, and the other thing that I, I tell people is like, look, if you're listening now, you have the blessing to be in the space of the commander on a regular basis. Please write on a piece of paper, write the question why, put it in the shredder. It is the single most worthless question in the world because every why question that we are asked, we have to justify our answer. Why are you late? Hey, what caused you to be late? Totally different. It, yeah, it's is, not is, there your... I, is there something I can help with? Is there is there something that's going on that that we as a team can rally around you exactly. to help you? Exactly, but but when we ask that sailor, why are they late, ma'am? I'm sorry, you know, it'll never happen again. Hey, would you please share with me, you know, what caused you to be late? Totally different. There's no why question that you can't transform into a what question. And what you've done is you've created a foundation of possibility. If we can allow somebody to tell their story, it creates one thing: a possibility. Because what we see is rarely what is. I don't like the term behavioral health because it's jumping over the cause. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to, to make the behavior healthy. Well, how can you help someone change behavior if you don't know what is causing the behavior? Right. right. And, and, and I hate the word, and a lot of it what we do, ma'am, in my opinion, is just to make some slight changes. Mental illness is a horrific term. It, it, and you realize what the definition is? It's an illness that affects the mind, it's not of the mind. Because what happens is we think, oh my God, this this you know this evil monster or whatever. So how about if we how about if we said, man, wow, this person is suffering from suffering is suffering, suffering from mental distress, mental despair. What what mm -hmm. if we said that? Like okay, that's totally different because we can identify with the feelings of mental despair of, of mental distress. It just if we just change some language, if we admit, okay, the signs are almost never going to be there. If we, if we say, look, we don't know why, it's okay. If we realize we're never getting to zero, it's okay. Like we can reduce it though. If we, we, change, we change some of the vernacular to, to realize if you look at mental illness, it affects the mind. Because when we say it's of the mind, now we're afraid because the person has lost their mind, they're out of the mind. Let me tell you what, no, it's a little bit too close of a relationship with my mind because I can't talk about it. If you can give me the compassion, if you can walk with me in a different form of empathy to understand that I'm having mental distress, I'm having mental despair, I'm a human being that is being overwhelmed mm -hmm. with how I feel and I can't talk about it, would you please bring the words to life of Lady Bird Johnson and to give me the opportunity simply to hurt out loud because in the absence, to not have your suffering recognized is an almost unspeakable form of violence. It's just like, no one cares. No and this, yeah. this kind of goes back to the idea that you can't just cure mental uh, health issues with a pill. You, mm -hmm. you can't just say, oh, you have a diagnosis. Now you're going to be, um, now you're going to take a pill and you're going to feel better. That, that's, that's not what's going to help you feel better. Um, no. And, and the other dangerous assumption in the military that I love is the assumption that if we can get somebody, if we can overcome these mountainous obstacles of stigma, if we can overcome like working with INSCOM, these brilliant people in, in, in keeping us safe in, the, in an active war in, the, in, the, in the, this other world that we don't see, if we can overcome 
their fear of losing their security clearance because the actual data is like so infinitely small. If we can do that, we can give them this space to just go ahead and to share. Because Parker Palmer is an amazing theologian and humanitarian. He says, violence is what happens when we don't know what else to do with our suffering. You can just say violence is help. It's just, you know what? I, I Just like you, man, what you shared, like to come home at the end of the day, like that got nothing. You know, this, this, yeah, this soul, this extraordinary human being having me named Harry is coming to my life. Okay, now I got a foundation. You know, I still have terrible days, man, but I got, okay, I can, I can text my brother who's on the other, literally the other side of the world. I'm like, I need you. I'm like, okay. You know, just like I'd imagine you have with Harry. Like, yep. God, my God, doesn't mean that you're not going to feel a certain way. What if we can give each other that? Just and and hope is not hope is the definition of hope is the expectancy that something good is going to happen. It's not the guarantee. It's not. What if we can get like, okay, you know what? Hold on, pain ends. Hearing other people's experiences. Okay, let me, let me just let me just get to the end of it. It's just the end of the day. Because here's the thing: on August thirty first, two thousand eleven. I'm not thinking about five March, 2023. I'm not thinking about that. I, I'm barely thinking about one September, 2011. So I, you know what, I'm gonna say, look, that's too big. Let's, let's look at what you're doing, man. Let, let's look at that and just say, okay. not only can myself get to the end of the day, me wanting to support other people, I can create an environment of connection in which you feel seen, heard, and valued and give you enough of an expectancy, like just the end of the day. I agree. It really is. It's all about taking care of one another and being being in spaces where you feel appreciated, you feel heard, you feel known. Oh, like exactly. I was telling you earlier, you know, I'm in a I'm in a command right now where I can be myself and I'm I'm not judged for being myself. <laughs> <laughs> and that hasn't always happened. Well, um, no, man, and you've been very kind to share that. And, and like, yeah, I can't imagine, ma'am, in 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 your long military career because you you've had the opposite. You know, I've talked about that. Yeah, like every day when you put on the incredibly the the sacred, like those that use of the word is right. The uniform that you have that you have worn and which you keep me safe. Like knowing you're going into work in an environment when you feel seen, heard, and valued. Like, wow. Oh, <laughs> what, it is. What a concept. And 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 to have it on a staff on an inner like in the situation i'm in right now where it's an international staff where there's all these different cultural supposed cultural barriers and what you find is that i definitely feel in a in a in a nato environment i think people are kinder to one another than they are sometimes in a military environment and and i and i think i attribute that because i've thought about it of course because i think about everything like why why is it why am i having such a good experience right now um i i think that i attribute it to the idea that we are very which is a good thing we are we are very not wanting to offend other cultures so we mm. tend to be very culturally sensitive and you'll find, I mean, this is what I've learned is that the things that are funny to me as an American might not be funny to another country or they don't get some of the, the cultural references that you say, like, or the acronyms even. It, it's yeah. just so you, you find that yourself really being more just human around yeah. other, other officers and other professionals because 
that's that's the way you want to connect and there's such a there's such a deep sense of wanting to connect and i think all of us who are on our staff we we're like whoa this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity because while many of us have done exercises with other nations or 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 you know short term trips where we're interacting with another culture we're like in the weeds working on things that are hard and problems that have to be solved that are going to take time with people that are from completely different other countries and see things totally differently and and you just find yourself appreciating that you're you're just like the french have their own very very classy way of dealing with things and it's just very very beautiful language and then the germans they're very hardcore and intense and all about rules and you know those are just two examples but i could go on and on and you start to recognize like these these cultural patterns um on an international staff and i've never had that experience so for me i mean tomorrow's international women's day and we're going to have a uk former prime minister apparently you know at our headquarters and we're going to get to do a brunch a lunch with her and like i never would have imagined i'd have these kinds of chances so i you know i just i think that you're and again this comes back to your point when you're around and you're engulfed in an environment where you feel supported it just makes all the difference it really does it does and, and what i would say ma'am is it is also perfectly reciprocal it is is what I say an Eden of camaraderie, a sanctuary of mutuality. So, in other words, I teach I teach three. The TTPs are recognition, understanding, and expression. I teach people be a master of remembering people's names, and then you remember you remember this this person's name, their spouse's names, their kids' names, and their pets' names. Why is that important? Because again, take the whole myth of signs. Okay, let's just not rely on them. Because okay, they, I like I do these these queries all over the world now. Like it, it's so rare. So here's the thing, when you know more about a person's life, you can potentially detect something that that one thing left unchecked. So the story that I use is, okay, hypothetical, new mom, you have a micro relationship. You see her on a regular basis, you're never going out to dinner. We have micro relationships. It's not just what you and I wear and Harry wear on our left ring finger. You can ha you see people at the defect in the dry cleaners and on the exchange. You know, when they have a name tag, please call them by their name. Because a noun is a person, place, or thing. So now you've made them a thing. Call them by their name. So you then you get to know. So you find that you see this young woman who's you know a little bit, and let's say you're at the same rank, and you say, "Hey, how you doing?" And she says, eh, "You know, I'm okay." And you're like, "Wow, you know what's going on?" Oh, not it's really no big deal, but no. And like, no, really, tell me. I said, "Well, my daughter Catherine, she's eight weeks, eight years old, and she's going to have her tonsils out." And like, "Oh my gosh, I remember that. I got ice cream." And you're like, "Well, mm -hmm. you know what? What? Not why." Are you upset? What's upsetting you? She said, well, no, it makes no sense, but they're going to put, put my child to sleep. What if she doesn't wake up? I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, wow, I totally get that. And so here's what I, I beg people to do. Ask this question. Well, when's Catherine's procedure? It's on May 19th. Please put a note in your phone. And there's a calendar reminder. On May 19th, you text, you text your friend says, hey, if I have it right, today's the day that Catherine's having her tonsils out. I know that I, you shared with me your stress. I just want to let you know, you know, I'm, I'm supporting you. And if there's anything I can do, please let me know. Okay, one, like you are going to just shock and awe people in the most sacred, beautiful way. Because three things. One, you listened in a way that people don't listen. Two, you validated her feelings. She's saying, oh, no, no one will understand. No. And then the third thing is you acted on it. Like you remembered the thing that nobody remembers. How did you remember that? Seeing heard value. Now, what if something happened? 
in the, in the surgery. And you mm-hmm. did a follow-up, say, hey, did everything go, you know, did everything okay? And she says, you know, so now what you've done is you've created the possibility because you care, and this person who is enduring something that's difficult, now they may feel safe with you. So you've done all these different, then how do you feel? When you do that, when you send the text on May 19th, how do you think, well, that feels kind of good that I remember that person. It's not about ego. So no, you cannot create an environment of being seen, heard, and valued. Ma'am, I, I, I know you because of the support you feel like you have. I, if I interviewed every single one of your staff, you have created where they put their uniform on my They're going to be good. Commander Carpenter, I mean, like, this is good. So you, it's not just you, ma'am, having the experience. It, it's this, I love it. It's a, it's a sanctuary of mutuality. And then your ability as a commander, they as sailors and officers and, and enlisted to do their job to impact in this unique paradigm, the world, the yeah. world, like I mean, it's the really, world. People are, I've realized that teams are unstoppable when they feel supported. <sighs> they really are. And they can accomplish really hard things and they can solve really difficult problems when they have the support that they need to, to get the mission done. And it really does come down to, like you said, seeing, seeing in each person, having them be seen, heard, and valued. And understanding with people, like everyone brings something unique to the table and everyone brings a certain certain skill, you know? And a lot of times the skills on a team can offset other people's weaknesses. So if somebody has something that they're really good at, it can, it can offset maybe something that you're not so good at. Like I'm very terrible with details, but I've got people on my team that are very, very good about remembering things and about process and procedure and, and and then I've got an I've got a team member right now who's wonderful about remembering birthdays and and very good with the morale building kind of stuff that I'm not as I don't always remember to do as much and I just appreciate so much that she thinks to do those things because like you said as you were telling your story that's that's ex- immediately was thinking of 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 this person on my team because I'm like oh she's definitely that kind of person that will remember when someone has the surgery and will follow up and will ask those questions and. It's so important, David. And I, I do believe that that's, that is the core of how you reduce those suicides. It's not, like you said, going to make it go away. Um, but what it will do is that if you can fix teams, if you can make teams healthier, if you can make families healthier, you will make a dent in the suicide problem. You won't, like you said, fix it overnight. But that is the way that you kind of get in there and start to try to make change. And, and, and I think that all these other things about, you know, being recognizing the signs and all this other stuff. I mean, it's just it's just hogwash to me. It's, it's about building healthy teams and healthy well, families. Well, I think it goes back to something I'm passionate about, that suicide is the enemy, but it's not the target. We're, re, we're trying to reinforce the thing. So what I say is hope is ordinance. It's munition. It doesn't do anything. 155 millimeter shell doesn't do anything just sitting there. It has to be activated. It has to be weaponized. Right. So hope is the ordinance. Connection is the weaponry. And now we're going to shift my aim from here. Now I'm going to shift my aim to the person who's standing in the line of fire. Because now it's two against one. And the analogy I use is in World War II, we're losing all these planes. And so they, they, they're doing analysis. And they look it's like, okay, pretty easy. All of the damage is around the fuselage. So enemies trying to take out the pilot and the co-pilot and the navigator. They reinforce that area really powerfully. No change, losing the same number of planes. Yeah. Math, a mathematician comes in and says, hello, you're looking at the planes that came back. You got to look at the ones that didn't. And ma'am, you know where the damage was? In the engine. In the engine. 
those are the planes that didn't come back. That's why you're losing. And then when they armed the engine, when when we armed this, they didn't lose as many planes. The mm. enemy, the enemy is um, is a brilliant tactician. How about we do the same? We're trying to reinforce this. This is not why people kill themselves. Thought plays a pattern, plays a part in establishing a belief that spawns the emotion. We need to fortify this. And if we become good in remembering people's names, if we leverage curiosity to create understanding and allow someone to tell their story, if we express to people how we feel, these three things can come together in a way that we can create an experience in which somebody feels seen, heard, and died. We can create brilliant teams, compassionate teams like you have done. Things change. It's a possibility. That's all it is. We can do it perfect. There'll be still people. There's still the possibility someone will lose to end their life. Also the possibility they won't. Absolutely. God, David, I just love listening to you. And I'm so <laughs> glad we're friends. This is why I wanted to have you on the show and why I hope one day I can do this mental health summit that I have a goal of doing at NATO uh, one day. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm sure manifesting you will. it. <laughs> um, but I, I definitely just love what you have to say. I want to know more about if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to have you come speak at their command event. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit more about that, and I'm going to show the banner here for your your website. But tell tell yeah. us a little bit about how people can get in touch with you. So, one, I'll say the website is in dire need of updating. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, All good. No, I, it, yeah. Anyway, my beloved niece Brooke Brooke Brown, she's going to handle it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let me so so email email. It's David at davidwoodsbartley.com. So just do the TTP and get it, and then call me seriously nine one six. Two four seven six three eight nine and 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 I understand you know I understand the vetting process so I can give you my bio you know two TED talks blah 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 whatever it doesn't you know it doesn't mean to have a, a command list a list from from O ten to E nine of people I have personally briefed so if you want to see that because it, it, you know man at that level especially at flag level they've all served together they know each other mm -hmm. you say hey. The dude have something valuable to say if you want a vetting, like you know what I look at, like being here with you. You have trusted me. You you had confidence in me. You extended to me your faith that your ten thousand plus followers it would be a value. When a command has me bring in, come in, I understand the faith that they have given. They they have they have put their trust in me. My job is to fulfill their trust, and I approach this differently. When I come to a command, I don't do just one talk. I, I can I brief from AM to PM. Mm -hmm. I have courses of action I can show. I have eight different talks that I do. So email David at DavidWoodsBartley.com, 916-247-6389, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. And my whole thing is to comment on the brilliance of other people. I, the only time I will post is when I'm being given the gift and the honor to go to another command. That's I don't... People don't need to hear about me. People need to know about these extraordinary human beings that like you were doing like, wow, I'm just here to support people. That's my whole job. I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, David, I just want to thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed this hour that has just flown by, which I, I knew it would. Um, and you've given me a lot to think about as I go into suicide 
prevention training that I have to give this Friday to our USA element. I am the suicide prevention coordinator. So um, that was just a coincidence that the timing of our talk uh, coincided with when I have to do the training. So I, I definitely um, learned so much from you and you have really put me on a wonderful path to take on this kind of issue because this, my mental health shows are probably some of the, well, they are the hardest shows that I do. Mm. And I know that when I'm going to do a show on mental health or on depression or suicide or, or any of these kinds of issues, I know that I've got to have the right speakers because it, it's just such a hard topic for me to dig into because it's going to bring up things in my own past. And then I know that it's going to bring up things for, for the audience as well. But I believe that, that these questions, these uh, topics are so incredibly important. So I thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule on a Sunday uh, to talk about this issue today with me. Well, and if I may say one concluding thing is those souls, and I refer to people as souls, not, not religiously, like there's something that's driving this. The souls who will be there when you speak, they won the lottery because you in your passionate way as a senior commander will give them insight that you can't, can't have in a traditional PowerPoint. Not that those are bad, but you're going to give them something that will be refreshingly unique and like, wow, okay. And it, it impacts the world, like the world. Thank you. Thank you, David. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I do these briefings now at our um, military commander's update brief on Thursdays. <laughs> and I always, my boss always looks at me, he's like, I just don't know how you, you do it. You just, because I don't like reading off the slides. I, I just like speaking directly to the audience. And I tell him, I say, it's because of podcasting. I say, yeah. I, truly, it, it has, it has just changed my ability to speak. Um, it really has. And so I, highly, highly, highly encourage people to share their story in any way that they can, whether it be in person at a, at a briefing or whether it be through podcasting or whether it be through um, an essay or a blog or even a Facebook post. Um, sharing your story is so incredibly important to helping others heal and helping others know that they are not alone. So thank you so much, David. I will meet you backstage in just a moment. I'm going to go to full screen. Our, it's been an absolute honor. I've been so, I've been looking forward to this for two years. So <laughs> I'm a patient man. I know, I know. And I'm so sorry. Like, and, and, and oh. guest lineup is always a, a struggle for me because I get so excited about no, so many of the people okay. that want to come on. And, but I knew that, and also I have to be mentally ready to take on certain topics. And so some of this is my own healing journey and being, okay, am I ready to talk about this issue? Uh, and so I knew I was ready. I, I volunteered to be the suicide coordinator, prevention coordinator at work for a reason. So I'm, I'm just I'm just glad that you were willing to do this. So I will meet you backstage in just one moment as I go to a full screen. Okay. And everyone, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Uh, really appreciate all the questions. I know there was a couple questions in the chat that I did not get a chance to get to. So I will get to that shortly. Um, next week, I have two guests. Um, I'm going to be having a gentleman who has did endure a toxic work climate, but lived to tell about it, wrote a book on it. And I'm pretty I'm trying to see if I have his book over here that I could show you, but I don't think I do yet. 
but I will be putting out a podcast promo on that. And then on Sunday, that's on Saturday. So I've got two people next weekend. And then Sunday, I have another gentleman who's going to be talking military transition. So going mm. to get out of the, of the real serious space and just talk about uh, some good stuff about what to be prepared for, uh, which is still very serious uh, when, when you transition. But with that, everyone, enjoy the rest of your lovely Sunday. And I will see you all next week. Bye-bye now. <laughs>